Amen. It is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, but I'm going to do it in a different way. I'm in a series on the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. Uh, Jesus prayed for God the Father to send us a helper because he knew that we needed help in life. And so the Holy Spirit is our helper. Here's the cool thing. When you study the Word of God, you see that the Holy Spirit was also in the life of Jesus Christ. In fact, from his birth through his death and resurrection, we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. And if that sounds rather dry and boring to you, it's only because I can't adequately present the material. When properly taught, I think this is one of the most exciting topics that any congregation could ever consider. For example, I read about a young man who preached his very first sermon on this subject. His message was entitled, The Holy Spirit in the Life of Christ. Since he had grown up in the town where the sermon was to be preached, all of his old pals were there, along with his entire family. They said in the audience, they, they were just anticipating how he would do and, and what he would say. As it turned out, it started off pretty good, <laughs> but it didn't end so well. His approach to the subject was unpopular with the people. He was far too outspoken, and he stated his views with unusual bluntness. And everyone in the church house became upset with what he said. The congregation, in fact, tried to kill him before he was halfway finished with his sermon. Now, if you don't believe what I'm telling you, can I read it to you? Because it's found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Let's just read this. Luke chapter 4, real story that happened about Jesus and his first sermon. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse number 14. Are you ready? Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Now that's the topic of this whole sermon today. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And we see here that he is filled with the Holy Spirit's power. In fact, if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So are you getting the point? Jesus was full of God's Spirit. Back to verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him and he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives be released, that the blind see, that the oppressed be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes on the, in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. 
The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they ask? Isn't this Joseph's son? So far, so good. So far, so good. They're still saying good things about him. But he just finished his introduction. Now comes the main message. Verse 23. Then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do the miracles in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha. But only one was healed, and that was Naaman, a Syrian. Now when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were... New Living Translation uses the word what? Furious. They were pretty upset. They were about to call a business meeting and have him fired, all right? Stopped preaching his very first sermon. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. You got to love this. But Jesus passed right through the crowd and went on his way. He put that Jesus move on him. And he just went on his way. Again, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this written word and speak it into our hearts. We need the help of the Holy Spirit today, and I pray that you would give it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' declaration that the Spirit of God was upon him, though it invoked fury from the people of Nazareth, reverberates through the gospel. In fact, it is a theme or a motif that runs through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and I'm going to try to summarize it this morning with these six statements about the Holy Spirit being in the life of Jesus Christ. Number one, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, we've, we've sung that song, I believe, so many times, but I saw this morning, the very first verse, it talked about this, that the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in the womb of Mary. I could talk for a month on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's very mysterious, yet it is a great miracle from the Word of God. The angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke chapter 1, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Who's going to come upon Mary? It's the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you so the Holy One to be born in you is going to be God's very own Son. 
So let me just go back for a moment and explain what's happening here. Mary was a virgin. She, she was just a young girl. And for some reason, God chose Mary to give birth to his son, Jesus Christ. She was engaged to Joseph, yet they had not had any sexual relationships. They were engaged to be married. And so the angel came to her and said, Now Mary, I know this is going to be really hard for you to understand. You're just a teenage girl, but I want you to try to grasp this. The Holy Spirit of God is going to do a miracle in your life. He is going to take the seed and place it inside of your womb, which is going to bring out of you God's Son. <laughs> wow. You talk about being freaked out. Mary was. But that's what God did. A couple of weeks later, the same angel appeared to Joseph over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what he said to Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from where? From the Holy Spirit. My goodness. The secret of the incarnation is that Jesus is different from anyone else in history. He is both fully man and at the same time, he's fully God. Ain't nobody like that. It makes him great. A lot of people think they're great. Some of you think you're great, but you're really not, all right? We're just all down here together, all right? Everybody's down here, flesh and blood. We're just mankind. Jesus is up here. He's both man and he is God. Look at me. Jesus is great. Can't say that about anybody else. We can say it about Jesus. He is what? He is what? He is what? Jesus is great. In 1717, King Louis XIV of France died. His inflated ego had led him to give himself the title Louis the Great. And everyone was to address him with that title, Louis the Great. His court was the most magnificent in Europe. His funeral was the most spectacular. His body lay in a golden coffin. He had given special instructions about his funeral. The cathedral was to be dimly lit with only a single candle burning at the head of his casket. Thousands sat in silence, waiting to hear what the bishop would say about Louis the Great. So the bishop stepped up to the podium. And as he started speaking, he reached over and snuffed out the candle and said, Only God is great. <laughs> Man, I like that, don't you? Louis thought he was great, but compared to God, he's not great. Can I tell you something? Jesus Christ was the greatest man who ever lived. He was the greatest man who ever graced planet earth. He was totally God and totally man. Both the divine and the human nature were blended together perfectly in his personality. The process which bonded the human and the divine natures is shrouded in mystery. I can't fully understand it. I've spent my whole life 
trying to understand it, but I can't fully grasp it. What I can say is this. Jesus was born of a woman. She was a young girl, a virgin, having been conceived in her womb by the Holy Spirit of God. He was fully God, fully man, conceived by the Holy Spirit. None of you were. No one else was. Only Jesus. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Number two, he was also filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus was filled with the Spirit from the point of his conception. Here in Luke chapter 4 verse 1, we read that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. That was the observation that people had of him. He is full of the Spirit. In fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus claimed that the Father had given him the Holy Spirit without measure and without limit. So from conception, Jesus was filled by, he was controlled by, and he was directed by the Spirit of God. When people saw him, they said, he's full of the Spirit of God. Church, here is my goal for the rest of my life. I would like for somebody to be able to look at me and say, you know, oh, Pastor Will, he's full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's it. Because we don't normally say that about people, do we? Here's what we say. Jerk, he's full of himself. Y'all loosen up a little bit, all right? Get with me. Or we say, she's full of anger. Or they're full of bitterness. Or we can say about people, they're full of baloney. (laughs) But what about this? They're full of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was. Church, here's something I've pondered for years. Did did Jesus have more of the Holy Spirit inside of him than we can have inside of us? I mean, I just look at his life and I read all that he did, see that he was filled with the Spirit. So I've got to ask myself, did, did he just get a special dose of the Spirit that I can't get? And I think the answer, at least that I've come up with studying the Scripture, is no. We can have the same amount of the Holy Spirit that Jesus got. I think the difference was this. Jesus was much more sensitive to and reliant upon the Holy Spirit. And here's the big thing. Jesus didn't have all that worldly junk in his life to clog up his relationship with the Holy Spirit. And if you really get it down to the brass tacks, I think that that is your problem and my problem. We just have too much of the world inside of us. And the Holy Spirit cannot do His work in our life because we've got too much of the world inside of us. But I tell you what, Jesus didn't. And when people saw Him, they said He's full of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had the Spirit from the point of conception. He was filled with the Spirit. Number three, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. We know from the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come down upon earthly humans and give them power to do specific tasks. And as we read through the New Testament, we know that that was true for Jesus as well in the Gospels. Despite His having been conceived by the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit, there was a miraculous moment when He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
He was empowered for the most special divine service the world has ever known. And this special anointing occurred at his baptism. Just across the page from Luke chapter 4, we read this in Luke chapter 3 verse 21. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in what? In bodily form, just like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, There are a lot of questions that remain suspended in animation above this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus receive some kind of special information that he had not yet been given from heaven's headquarters? Did he receive some kind of new superpowers? Did God give him something at his baptism which he had previously not had? Now, we don't know all that occurred when the Holy Spirit descended upon the Lamb of God like a dove in bodily form, but we do have a little clue. In Acts chapter 10, verse 37, Peter is talking to Cornelius. And here's what Peter said. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. So I've got to look at this and say, you know what? There was something special about that anointing that came upon Jesus in his baptism. It gave him the power to do the work of the ministry. He even had power over the devil. Woo! I go back to wooing. I better control myself, but I'm getting excited here. That leads me to the next point. The Holy Spirit was not only with Jesus at conception, not only filled him and anointed him, but number four, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus performed his ministry not on his own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, church. Jesus did not perform his ministry through his own divine power. He could have. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. He worked through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, being God, possessed all powers. In fact, he said, all authority has been given unto me. Isaiah the prophet said this about the Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. Yet when he came to planted earth, he temporarily laid aside some of his divine privileges and his stuff. (laughs) He took it off. This this is mind-boggling to me. He had all the power. He's God. But he laid it aside. He took it off. 
so that he could identify with us in our own weaknesses. And if he could do what he did just through the power of the Holy Spirit, brother, you can too. You can too. It's kind of cold this morning, wasn't it? A little nippy, a little coolness in the air. Did you feel it? Or did y'all get up early enough? Did you feel it? When, when I left the house to come to church, I, I was wishing I had my black jacket on. Let me tell you about my black jacket. It's, it's a down jacket. It's really thin. It's very light. In fact, you can take the whole jacket, roll it up, and stick it into the left pocket, and you can have a pillow. It's cool, isn't it? It's cool. I love the jacket. But it's warm. In fact, it's probably the warmest jacket I have. And in the coldness of winter, I'll put that jacket on, and I can go out on the coldest day, and, and I can still be warm. I'm insulated. But I can't wear it inside of a house or a building. So when I go in a house, I'll take it off because it's so warm I'll start sweating if I've got it on. So I voluntarily take it off and I either put it on a hanger or normally just lay it in a chair. And I know I need to get over that, don't I? I need need to do better about that. But I take it off. I lay it aside. It's still my jacket. Are you with me? I can still pick it up and put it on anytime I want to. But I have temporarily laid it aside. Church, listen to me. When he came through the door of a stable on a cold, wintry night, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of God, voluntarily laid aside his privileges and his power. I love the way it's presented in Philippians chapter 2. Kenosis passage. Verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. And he took the form of a man. And here is the point I'm trying to make. Jesus ministered through the power of the Holy Spirit rather than his own power. In John chapter 5, Jesus admitted, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing on his own. And in John chapter 8, he repeats, I can do nothing on my own. Matthew chapter 12 verse 28 says that he drove out demons through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1 verse 2 says that he gave instructions to his disciples through the Holy Spirit. Jesus began his ministry with this very affirmation in Luke chapter 4, claiming Isaiah 61. It was being fulfilled in him. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Man... He was empowered by the Spirit. Even his attitudes were Spirit-given. Jesus once sent out 70 disciples to preach and minister in Israelite villages. And when they came back, they came back with good reports. And they were rejoicing of the success they had had. And then we read this remarkable sentence in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy... Through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That joy came through the Holy Spirit. 
Even his attitudes were spirit-given. Church, Jesus performed his mighty miracles. He preached his gripping sermons, maintained his victorious attitudes, and pursued his matchless ministry, not in his own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something, guys. I'm just talking to you right now. As I studied that this week, it humbled me. It broke me. It tore me up. And I can tell you, I am a different man standing in front of you right now than I was last Sunday. How so, preacher? Well, let me tell you, I've been preaching all my life. I started preaching when I was 12 years old. I was programmed by God to preach. He made me. I can't do anything else. I can't preach very good, but that's the only thing I can do. He made me to preach. It's all I've ever studied. It's all I've ever wanted to do. For the past 35 years, I've been a senior pastor. I've preached hundreds of messages. I've preached thousands of times. I know how to write a message. I know how to prep it. I know how to get it ready. You just wind me up and set me up here and I can preach. It's what I do. Yet that can become a problem. Because just like anything else in life, anything else in your life, anything else in your ministry, anything else in your, your family, anything else that comes to, to serving God, you know what? You can get pretty good at it just doing it yourself. And you can even come to the point where you think, you know what? It's what I do. Just do it. And you get in a rut, you get in a routine, you just do it. You know what? We can do that at church. We can come here and just have church. We got great praise teams. We have an awesome staff. This is a well-oiled machine. We built up all this momentum. We can have church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never ask for God's help in doing it. And so this week, God humbled me. And he said, Harmon, you know what? You think you can do it on your own, but you can't. Look at my son, Jesus, the son of God. Everything he did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he needed the Holy Spirit, boy, you need it. It changes your thinking, guys. Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit. But then, look at number five. He offered himself at Calvary through the Spirit. I don't fully understand Hebrews 9, 14, but it indicates to us that the Holy Spirit of God was involved in our Lord's sacrifice on Calvary's hill. Listen to this verse. How much more then... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God? Okay, we know it's the blood that saves us, right? It's the blood that cleanses us from sin. Will the blood of Christ, the spotless lamb, here's the sentence, who through the eternal spirit offered himself 
unblemished to God. How in the world did Jesus endure Calvary? How in the world did he hang there while the sin of the world, both past, present, and future, was placed upon his body? How did he endure all of the pain, all of the suffering? It was because he had the Spirit of God. The Spirit enabled him to do that so that our conscience could be cleansed from acts that would lead to death so that we might be able to serve a living God. Again, I can't wrap my little human brain around it, but this verse tells me that that same Holy Spirit who conceived Jesus in the womb of Virgin Mary, that same Spirit who filled him and anointed him at his baptism was there on the cross giving him the strength, the courage, the power to do what had to be done so that your sins could be forgiven. How about an amen? Amen. Amen. But here's the last thing, maybe the best thing. He rose from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Paul began the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 4 by saying that Christ, through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. It was the Spirit who gave Him power to come out of that grave. Then in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Paul wrote, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives inside of you. How about a hallelujah for that? Amen. Paul was teaching and preaching here on the foremost facts of our faith. Though God's people die, they're going to live again. I mean, there is a resurrection. And the job of implementing the resurrection has been given to none other than our helper, the Holy Spirit of God. He is the agent of resurrection who will bring new breath, the breath of life, into our cold corpses and bring us from the grave. Here again, we have an indication of how the Trinity works. The Father is the initiator. The Son is the mediator. And the Spirit is the... makes it happen. At the creation, the Father designed the universe... The Son spoke the words and the worlds came into order. And the Holy Spirit is the one who moved upon the waters. In providing salvation, God the Father willed it. God the Son died to give it. And God the Holy Spirit imparts new life into our old lives. The same pattern occurs in the resurrection. It's God the Father's will for His people to be raised. The Son is going to come on the clouds with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the Holy Spirit is going to quicken our mortal bodies, restoring life where there was no life. Even as the Spirit conceived Christ in the womb, the Spirit of God restored Christ in the tomb. I love 1 Timothy 3.16. It says this about the resurrection. 
Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit. Peter adds, Christ was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit, for reasons we don't fully understand, was all important in the life of Jesus Christ during the days of his earthly ministry. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Virgin Mary from conception and anointed with the Spirit at his baptism. He ministered through the power of the Holy Spirit. He offered himself at Calvary through the Holy Spirit and he rose again from the grave because of the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit. So the lesson I'm trying to get across to you is pretty obvious. If Jesus couldn't get along without the Holy Spirit, <laughs> neither can you. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do you. And listen to me. There is no victorious Christian living without the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot do the work of the ministry that you've been called to without the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God. We've got to have it. We've got to have it. As a kid, I grew up in Midland, Texas. Went to Emerson Elementary School from first grade to sixth grade. In the fifth grade, Zane, they let us start playing football. We didn't get to start third grade we had to wait till the fifth grade so our bodies could mature take the pounding so I became an Emerson Knight in the fifth grade made the football team played football with my buddies we were undefeated uh, I was the uh, I was the halfback on our teams because I was little I was a little kid and I was just a halfback the fullback was my best buddy Herbie Pierce and he was big. He was bigger on anybody else on the team. And our main play was just to hand the ball off to Herbie. Either right side or left side didn't matter. He'd plow through the line. He'd just steamroll the defense. And you'd see Herbie 15, 20, 30 yards down the field. There'd be four or five of the defensive players hanging on to him. Finally, they would drag him down. But that's the way we won every game in the fifth grade, just give the ball to Herbie. Every once in a while, they'd give the ball to me. There's only two plays that were my plays, sweep right or sweep left. B.B. Langford, the quarterback, we called him B.B. because his first name was Buford Bernard. <laughs> B.B. would get the ball and he'd just pitch it back to me. And, of course, I'm halfback. I'm just right behind him. I'd catch the ball. Herbie's behind me, fullback. Herbie would take off. My job was to stay right behind Herb. Because what would Herb do? He would clear the way. And I would just follow Herbie into the end zone nine times out of ten because he was the biggest guy out there. Sixth grade, we had never played this team before because they were on the other side of the tracks in Midland. We were on the north side, they are on the south side. We played another team on the south side of Midland. Those kids were huge. I mean, they were big. Um, their smallest guy was the size of Herbie, all right? When we saw them, we just looked at each other. They flunked. That's what we said. They've had to have flunked a couple of grades. Because they were so big. And David, I swear, half of the team shaved before they drove themselves to the game. <laughs> they were that big. All right? I don't know why the coach did this to me, but the very first play from scrimmage, he called sweep right. 
<laughs> Bibi got the ball, pitched it back to me. Halfback, I got it. I was following Herbie. Before Herbie got to the line of scrimmage, I saw something that I had never seen in the fifth grade or up to this point in the sixth grade. Two defensive players just laid Herbie out. I mean, they flat laid him out. And I couldn't believe it. Herbie's down. <laughs> oh, my lands. And about that time, from peripheral vision, I caught the linebacker who was, he was flying at me like a dart. And he put his helmet into my gut, wrapped me up, carried me five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and he pile drove me into the turf. I had never been hit so hard in my life. And I couldn't breathe. Brent, he knocked the wind out of me. I'd never had the breath knocked out of me before, and it terrified me because I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to die. And my coach ran out there, and you know what they did back in those days? The coach would just grab you right here by your britches and just pull you up by your pants, you know? And you're suspended as a you in the air, you know? I mean, I don't know how much I weighed in the sixth grade, but I was just a little bitty runt, and he just picked me up and said, Breathe, Harmon! Breathe! You can do it! Maybe something like that's happened to you. Maybe you've been hit. Maybe you've given in to temptation. Maybe you've crossed the line and you've let sin into your life. And the fullness of the Holy Spirit has been knocked out of you. Oh, you're saved. The Spirit's living in you. But the Spirit doesn't have control of you. You're not filled with the Spirit. You don't have that anointing on you. When people see you, they can't say, it's filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the fullness has been knocked out of you. Amen. That's reality. That happens to us. Guys, please see my heart today. You have got to have the fullness of the Spirit inside of you. So whatever you need to do this morning, you get on good terms with God. You seek His forgiveness. You repent. You rededicate your life to Him. You ask Him to fill you with His Spirit. You pray for that anointing today because you can't do it on your own. And maybe you don't know the right prayer to pray. How about the words to this old hymn? It simply says, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. One verse says, Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only always living in me. So dear Lord, I pray right now.